If you look at your sermon outline, there's some notes there that I'd like you to, to like to highlight. Our theme for the year is our utmost for his highest. But then as we went to learning community this week, we, um, after a couple of month hiatus, we, went, we came back to learning community and started talking about mission. What, what does it mean for us to be on mission for God, to, to join him, to be partners with him? And I wanted to highlight the assignment that came out of that. And for, so for those of you that were there, this will be a review. For those of you that weren't there, please join us in this assignment. Every day, number one, every day pray for God to give us his heart. For God to give us his heart. Because we can't conjure up a love for people, but God can give us a love for people. And so ask God to show us, to give us his heart, especially for those people who don't know Christ. The second part, then, is as we pray every day that God would give us his heart, is to pay attention for God to identify those things that are obstacles to having his heart. The lies that we've believed um, as we interact with people. Um, because he doesn't just automatically give it, he cleanses us. He, and the, it's that sanctification process that the Bible talks about of becoming more and more and more like him. The more we, we are able to empty ourselves, he can fill us. And so pay attention to those and write them down. And then number three is to write down and be ready to share what God reveals about um, and what you experience in this idea of God, give me your heart. What are the lies? What are the obstacles? Um, because I, I mentioned that learning community, I, I believe that a lot of what God is doing is not going to come from me. It's going to come from the body. It's going to come as God is working in each one of us to identify how he wants us to be used by him to make a difference in this world with people who know Christ, and, and, and we can encourage them, but especially for people who don't know Christ, and we can point them to Christ. And so that's, that's your assignment. Now open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Does anyone need a Bible? We've got some in the back if you don't have them. We're going to be spending most of our time in Philippians chapter 2. As I've been, as I've been <clears throat> preparing this week, uh, an old hymn that I grew up singing kept coming to mind. And, we, and we've sung it some here, um, but, but not a lot. And I, so I wanted to refresh your memory with, with, these, with the words. So I, put, I had them put it up here. And it's called, Since Jesus Gave His Life for Me. Is, is the first line. Consecration is the, the name of the hymn, but it, it goes like this. Since Jesus gave his life for me, should I not give him mine? I'm consecrated, Lord, to thee, I shall be wholly thine. And then the chorus, or the refrain, my life, O Lord, I give to thee, my talents, time, and all. I'll serve thee, Lord, and faithful be. I'll hear thy faintest call. I care not where my Lord directs, his purpose I'll fulfill. I know he everyone protects. Doesn't mean he keeps us from pain, but he sustains us. He gives us what we need. Who does his perfect will. My home and friends are dear to me, yet he is dearer still. And that's one of the obstacles, isn't it? That's one of the lies to being on mission is when we, 
inadvertently love those who are dear to us. And, and that prevents us from being what he wants us to be. In my affections, first he'll be, and first his righteous will. Though he may call across the sea, with Jesus I will go, and tell the lost of love so free, till all his power may know. My all, O Lord, to thee I give, accept it as thine own. For thee alone I'll ever live. My heart shall be thy throne. My heart shall be thy throne. Lord, give us your heart. Enthrone yourself on our heart. My life, O Lord, I give to thee, my talents, time, and all. I'll serve thee, Lord, and faithful be. I'll hear thy faintest call. It's that first line that's captured me and caught me because it's, it um, aligns with Philippians chapter 2. Since Jesus gave his life for me, since Jesus gave his life for me, should I not give him mine? Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not equal, count equality with God as, some, as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, only by the understanding that your spirit can give can we grasp what you're trying to say. So make your word come alive to us. Intellectually, let us understand it. But even more than that, Lord, put your finger on each one of us individually and how we need to apply it and become like you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This really is a true turning your life right side up kind of passage. Because it flies in the face. It's 180 degrees from what the culture says and what our sinful, selfish na nature says. Um, and so it's, it's the key to living right side up. So let's talk about living selflessly, finding meaning, and living a worthwhile life. Number one, if we're going to to live right side up and find and empty ourselves out so that we can be filled up by God, then we need to reflect on what God has done. I think that's one of the reasons why the goodness of God song hits me so hard is because it reflects on all my life you have been faithful. And it, and it takes me back to those times when God was so faithful and God was there. 
In Philippians, so keep your Bible open there. Verse 1 says, that if there, since, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Um, uh, probably to get the, the, the two gr true grasp of what he's saying here, a better translation would be since rather than if. So let, let, me, let me rephrase it. Since you have received encouragement in Christ. Since you have received comfort from love. Since you have participated in the Spirit. Since you have experienced affection and sympathy. Since you have experienced all of these things. Looking back helps us to recognize who he is, what he's done, and what we should be. And so he's, you know, I, I, I did a little bit, I forget the number of it. I, I went through Philippians, and there's a whole lot of times when he says, so or therefore. And so when he gets to chapter 2 here, he's actually referring to all the stuff that he's just talked about in chapter 1. So right now I'm going to re-preach everything that I've done the last four weeks because that was chapter... No, I'm not really going to do that. <laughs> right? <laughs> so he, he's referring back to chapter 1. And in chapter 1, he's highlighted this deep relationship. What, what have they experienced? Since you've experienced all these things, what have they experienced? A deep relationship with Christ together that has caused them to have a partnership together. They've, uh, he, he directed them in verse 6 to, to realize that it is Christ who will finish this work. Not your effort, but not you trying harder, but surrendering more so that he's free to do that. And then he, he took them to bad circumstances are actually not bad. But rather, God is working in all of those. Remember when he was saying, I want you to know because that what's happened to me has caused the entire imperial guard to learn about Christ. His bad circumstances are not bad. God's in the middle of whatever is happening in our lives. And then he talked about rejoicing and choosing to rejoice and, 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 and then that he has chosen to stay because it means fruitful labor. And, now he ch and then he challenged them to live a life worthy of Christ and continue to work towards unity. He says... You have experienced so much. You have experienced so much. And I would challenge you because you've experienced way more of God working in your life than you even know. I believe that the majority of what God does in our life is undercover. It's behind the scenes. That when we get to heaven and we see all that he's done, we will be blown away. That all our lives he has been faithful. He's been working and working and working. A while back I was, I, was, I, don't, I remember, I don't know if I was whining to God or, do you, you know, I was just kind of reflecting on, and I was saying, God, it doesn't feel like you were always there. And, and, and I don't know what the circumstances was or why it had to be so painful. And then he began to um, just cause memories to come back in my mind about that, those, those, that kind of stuff. And then 
It was as if the Spirit said, and I was there. And then another picture. And when you thought you were alone and you were crying out, I was there. And when you thought you, nobody cared about you, I was there. I was there. I was there. I was there. All our lives, he's been so faithful. Even in those times when we were in the depths of our sin and rebellion, he was still there. Loving us, caring, caring, protecting us. The only reason any of us are still alive is because God didn't allow us to be killed. And so he says, and, and I don't think in, in verse 1 that he lists four different things. And I think it's kind of a rephrase. It's, it's, it's a, a, of, of kind of the same thing. As he says, in, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ... And, it, and most of this, he's, refer, he's talking to all of them together. Most of this comes in the context of community. And so he says, since you have received encouragement in Christ. And oftentimes that comes from other believers. When we need encouragement the most, he provides it for us. He said, since you have received comfort. In those times when you were, you were just at your wit's end. You were at, at the end of yourself and you needed something. You needed the comfort, the consolation of God. He was there. He says, if you've had any since you've had participation in the Spirit, that is His presence, His presence around you, His presence sometimes manifested, His presence sometimes not. His presence producing the qualities of, of, that are worthy of Christ. His presence challenging us, protecting us, giving us a way out when we face temptation. His presence. And then he says, since you've experienced affection and sympathy, moments of the feelings and emotions. And so the first three are kind of the, the, the cerebral or the experiential. But here he says, those times when you felt the presence of God, when you knew he was there. And, and sometimes it's, it's uh, the hug from another Christ follower. But he's identifying God has always been there. And since you've experienced all of these things, it ought to cause us to be some things and to do some things. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. He says, if we, if we want to live this selfless, meaningful, worthwhile, right-side-up life, we need to reflect back on what God has done. And here he says, remember when you didn't have God in your life. Do you remember what it was like when you were separated from God? Do you remember when you had hit the bottom? Do you remember when you didn't know how you were going to go? Do you remember the pain of emptiness that you had? The, the, the pain of lostness that you had? See, I think after we've been Christ followers for a while, that, that kind of gets numb. You, you, we, don't, we don't remember the depth of, what, of pain that we had spiritually. The, the depth of emptiness, the depth of thinking that we don't know if we can go on. 
We don't know if we can survive this because we don't know where to turn or what to do. We need to remember that we could still be separated from God had not His grace and mercy reached out to us. We could still be in that emptiness that causes person after person. I hear more and more people committing suicide. And, and some people having drug overdoses that by all outward appearances, they did it on purpose. Why? It's because of the emptiness and, and the depth of despair that comes when you don't know Christ. We need to remember where we were. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And here he's talking to the Gentile believers. He said, you, you, you had no hope. You were, you were on the outside because it was the Jewish people that were God's people. And then this phrase, having no hope and without God. We need to remember. We need to reflect on where we've been and now what we've experienced. We've experienced the encouragement, the comfort, the participation with the Spirit, the affection, and the sympathy. But now, he says in verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We need to remember. We need to reflect on who we were and where we were. Throughout the Old Testament, over and over, they were told, remember, remember, remember. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember when you were 40 years in the wilderness. Remember how God brought you out. We need to remember. We need to remember. And so he, um, here in verse 1, says that's the first action that we need to take in order to have the unity with Christ and with one another. Number two, he says we need to unite around Christ and his purposes. So, uh, again, if we went back to uh, chapter one, the end of chapter one, he's talking about unifying, becoming the army of God, becoming soldiers together, locking arms together, walking in step together. He's talking about this unity that will cause people to see Christ. And so he, he's, he's saying we need to remember where we were when we need to remember what, reflect on all that God has done for us. And then we need to unite around who Christ is. Amen. Because it's, 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 it's him that's doing it, it's not us. Verse 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy. He says, you will make me a proud father, spiritual father to you. Complete my joy if you are unified together around Christ. He says, not, not if you send me thank you cards. That, that's not going to do it. He says, not if I hear that you know, you're, you're doing wonderful things in your job. That's not going to do it. But he says, if you unite around Christ and his purposes, that will bring me the greatest joy that I could ever have. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. As people look at what the church is today, those aren't qualities that usually are mentioned. But he says that's what unites us. 
That's what will show Christ. He says, there's no reason, no thing that you should ever, uh, that should ever cause disunity among those who have their focus on Christ. If you've gone through the um, Welcome to the Family membership class, you know, we, I spent quite a bit of time talking about the essentials. And that's what he's talking about here. Those things that matter. Not, talk, not talk, talk about not the periphery. We're going to disagree on a whole lot of things. That's what I'm talking about. But when you hear of congregation who, who splits over the choice of the color of the new carpet, they're not united around essentials. It, it's, it's, it's a, did you notice the difference up here today? Did you notice any difference? We're trying to get more chairs in, so we're trying to get another row because um, we're, you know, we've, we've got more people that are visiting and, and we're just trying to make as much space as we can. So we push the stage back a little bit and we're trying to adjust the lights and it just created all kinds of chaos <laughs> this morning. Because we changed something and we want it to be good. But, and those are the kinds of things that can that dis, cause disunity, right? Simple stuff like that. Chickens can cause a stir. <laughs> right? It's not essential. Some of you are thrilled out of your minds that we're having chickens. I don't understand it one bit. Other, other people are going, have they lost their much chickens? I, okay. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's not essential. He says, what you need, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to be united around. Amen. He says, um, in the, where am I at? <laughs> oh, here we go. So in verse 2, look at, look at what he lists here. He says, being of the same mind, having the same mind, that is, united in what they believe, the, it, what the essentials are. He's not talking about being clones, not everybody. You know, um, I can't believe anybody wouldn't like Ohio State. I mean, but that's not an essential, right? There's, it's just, you know, that we have all kinds of differences. Here he's talking about what we believe, the essentials that we believe, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. You know, the, the Apostles' Creed, all the things that we, everything else is up for grabs. It, we don't, and so we, we are of the same mind, united in what we believed, transformed by Christ to have the mind of Christ. You know why, you know why people who call themselves Christians fuss with each other? Is because they have not allowed God to give them the mind of Christ. Amen. They're still living upside down. And, and so oftentimes they don't even realize it. It's the essentials. It's living for Christ. It, and what he's going to say in, in a few minutes, it's serving selflessly that unites us. He says, having the same love, that is Christ's love flowing through them. Did you know you can't love no matter how much you think you love somebody without Christ. It's impossible for you to do because we have a sinful, selfish nature. You can love a little bit. You can do the love. But when it comes down to the true sacrificial love that you need, you won't be able to do it. There will be, there will be things that you cannot do unless the love of Christ is resident. 
full accord. He says, united souls, having, having uh, how did he state it? Uh, same love being in full accord. And, and this, it, it, again, it's not about being clones, but rather it's united around what the Holy Spirit is about. So in full accord, I mean, we agree on God's agenda, not ours. And then one mind. This is talking about one focus, um, united in the effort. So the, 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 same mind, the same mind in the first part of the, vo- the, uh, of the verse is the mind of Christ. The one mind is the united effort that we have in having the same focus, the same um, priorities to promote the cause of Christ, living it out, not just thinking about it. And so the first action that we need to take is to remember, to reflect on what God has done. The second is to unite around Christ and his purposes. And then we go to the third, and that is to, here's where the rubber meets the road. It's one thing to have all of this intellectually. It's another to put it into practice. Serve others selflessly. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, there's our memory verse. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Circle the word nothing, if you circle words in your Bible. Nothing, not one thing, not anything, not a single thing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition, that is a desire for, um, for myself to be, uh, for position, for power, um, my ambition to be better than, to appear better than other people. Um, uh, it's all about being focused on myself, selfish ambition. Or conceit. Conceit is a little bit different in that it is um, just the appearance. I want people to think of me well, even if I'm not doing what they should be thinking of me well. Does that make sense? So just the appearance of being better, smarter, more capable. Um, I'm, I'm sure if you've, you've run into this um, in your job, where there are people who don't have the quality to be promoted, but because of their ability to spin things and to talk to the right people, they get promoted and, and they're an empty conceit or vain conceit, some translations say. It's, it's not of substance. It's one thing to get a position because you're capable. It's another thing to get a position because you just want to look good. He says, do nothing out of what you want personally, selfish ambition, or to appear to be something that you're not to other people. That's hard. When Jesus, I I think maybe halfway through his ministry, Jesus had his 12 disciples around him, and one day, James and John Had their, I, I don't know if she instigated it or they instigated it, but their mother came to Jesus and said, um, Jesus, I, I got a favor to ask you. And, and she said, well, what? When you come into your kingdom, I, well, I would like for my boys 
to be the most important in your kingdom. One to sit on your right hand, and one you could choose which one you want on your right or your left. You know, you can choose. But when you come in your kingdom, let them be the most important. And Jesus' response is not up to me to make those choices. And then the other ten heard about it. And they all began to grumble about it. And I think one of the things that crossed their mind was, we should have got our mothers to come to Jesus. I mean, if that's going to work, I mean, you know, because they were always fussing about who is most important and who's going to be first, who's going to be last. And, and the, because they had this selfish ambition. It wasn't enough for them to be one of the chosen 12. They wanted to be the top. They wanted to be the elite. They wanted to be the special. But we, no, we don't do that, do we? Absolutely we do. Selfish ambition. When somebody gives you a compliment for something that you really aren't or don't, and you don't correct them, have you ever asked yourself why? Why? Because I want them to believe better of me than I actually am. Yeah, it can be subtle things, but it can lodge in your heart. We don't have any idea how much we do or how difficult it is to break this selfishness. And selfishness is what will ruin the unity. And unity is what Jesus said will cause people to see me. In John chapter 13, he says, this is how they'll know by your love for one another. By your love for one another. They will know that you're my disciples. And then in John chapter 15, turn there in your Bible. John chapter 15. We'll look at verses 12 and 13. John 15, verses 12 and 13. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's one thing to say that we love others, is another thing to say that I love like Jesus loves. And there's no caveat there. there. There's no asterisk. There's no footnote. He says, this is, this is the standard of love. It's to love other people as I have loved you. And, and we're going to see in just a moment as he goes farther in this passage what that looks like. That's the standard. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Most of the times when we're asked to lay down our lives for others, it's not to die but it's to give ourselves inch by inch. It's to give ourselves in sacrifice. It's to give ourselves in doing things that we don't want to do. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Then back to Philippians. He says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Which is, just fine until there's only one piece left of your favorite dessert. Oh, I'm willing to share my favorite dessert. You know, I, I, I you know, and, but the last piece, I mean, that's, that's, you know, and then, 
<laughs> tell me, tell me if this doesn't cross your mind. Tell me. Okay, we'll cut it in half. We'll cut it in half. Then one half of, one half looks a little bit bigger. And you have to make the choice. Am I going to offer the bigger piece to the other person who really doesn't like it all as near as much as I like it? And so, and, and really, and, and if, I, if I, you know, they would want me to have the bigger piece because they know that I really like this. And we do all of these mental gymnastics of trying to justify ourselves over a bite of chocolate cake. Am I right? That's where the rubber meets the road. Now, when it comes to bigger things, that, see, that's not going to make a, a, a difference in eternity, but, but it sets the trajectory for our lives. And so give the other person the bigger piece, because it will be good for your soul, and it will probably be good for your figure. <laughs> I'm just saying. Especially when it's popcorn. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. There are um, modern psychologists and therapists who don't like that concept. They say you have to love yourself. You have to love yourself first before you can love other people. But the Bible says count them as more significant than yourself. Not, not that, and, and then he goes on. He says, Greater, uh, and he, uh, let each of you look not only to your own interests, so you're not supposed to be a doormat, but also to the interests of others. Putting other people first. Humility. This requires the surrender, listen, and obey lifestyle and humility because we don't, we can often not know what it is to love another person because we don't have a point of reference. So, <laughs> So we tend to love other people when we, when, and in all sincerity, we want to love other people. And so we, we do for them what we would like if they were doing it for us. The first year we were dating, Sheila and I were dating, um, I, I wanted to do something special for her birthday. So I had a professor in college who was a, a good friend of mine. He said, I'll let you use my apartment if you want to cook her a nice meal for her birthday. And so I did. I'm, I don't remember what I made. I, I don't remember anything, any of the food that we had except for one. Um, I, and so I made this nice meal, and she was pleased, and it was a nice evening together. And I said, and, I, and especially I got you a special treat. And I brought out a, a, a plate of black olives. Because that is one, like, when I was growing up, we only got them on special occasions. We only got them at the, you know, when we were having a reunion. And I loved black olives growing up, but I hardly ever got them. So I thought this would be a really good treat for Sheila. And she looked at them, and, 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 and in all honor to her, she even ate one. <laughs> just, just to show her, but I'm, I'm, I, there's a whole plate I'm here, Sheila. You take as many as you want, because I, I can't, but she goes, I don't like black olives. I, I thought you liked, no, you like black olives. I love black olives. Well, we, how can you, she says they taste like dirt. I said, no, the beets that you like taste like dirt. And that's, so oftentimes, we try, in our best efforts, we're going, God, I want to love my family. And we're, we're loving them as we would want to be loved, rather than 
allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what it looks like to love that other person according to the way that they need to be loved. And that's where there's a lot of fights in friendships and marriages and families is because I'm trying to love you, but you're not loving me. We need to learn. We need to learn to surrender and listen and obey to the Holy Spirit and then to one another so that Jesus, and, and so here's, here's, the, here's the point, so that Jesus will be seen and glorified. Amen. Not just so that we get the relationship that we want, but so that he is seen and glorified. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice. Surrender completely, given completely, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Which brings us to number four. We need to empty ourselves for others as Jesus did. We need to empty ourselves for others as Jesus did. So reflect on what God has done. Unite around Christ and his purposes. Serve others selflessly, and then he takes it deeper. In verses 3 and 4, he gives us the command, and then in verses 5 to 8 is the model. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves. Remember, a united mind, a mind around Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, when it says in the, he was in the form of God, it, it doesn't mean he was just cut out like God. It means he was God, and he is God. And that in the beginning, he's eternal. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he's eternal. He was God, but did not count holding on to that equal position at the right hand of the Father, something to be grasped, something to be held on to. He said, out of love for the Father, out of love for his creation, he is willing to let go of all that he had a right to, all that he was, all that, all that he, um, he, he could have held on to. There are some things that are legitimately ours that God says, I want you to surrender and sacrifice. There are some things that we, that um, God will ask us to give up out of love that we can grasp and not experience what God wants to do in and through us. Things that are legitimately ours. Our God had, Jesus had all the rights, all the privileges, all the position of being equal with the Father. But he was willing to let go of all that was legitimately his in order to serve. A friend of mine, Jim Harvey, um, was a pastor here in Pennsylvania, and then he moved to California. Um, after he was pastoring there for a while, he his, discovered that his wife was having an affair. And at that point, he pretty much lost everything. The church blamed him. He lost his credentials. He ended up with pretty much nothing. 
living in a little apartment. And um, one day his ex-wife and his daughter was living with his ex-wife asked if she could borrow his pickup truck to move her stuff from one place to another. In, in the immediate, when he's telling me the story immediately there, I'm thinking, no, well, why would you do that? I mean, how, the gall to ask after you are the one that's caused all the problems. Now you want to borrow my truck. And he, and, and, and he said, so I let her, I let her borrow it for the weekend. And then on Sunday night or, or Monday when I, I went to pick it up, um, she said, oh no, it's not yours anymore. I changed the title on it. I'm keeping it. And I just, I, I almost came out of my chair. Just, I just went, and, 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 and Jim said, oh, no, 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 Herb. He saw the look on my face. Like I, I, like I was going to strangle him because she wasn't there. <laughs> and, I, and, and he said, oh, no, 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 Herb. You need to understand, it's not my truck. It's God's truck. Amen. And if by letting it go, it reveals to my daughter and my ex-wife the love of Christ, I'm willing to do it. He had every legitimate right to take her to court. But instead, he said, and you know what? God honored that. God provided in ways that I, I never thought it could turn around. Things that are legitimately ours. Are, and so my question is, are we holding on to things that are legitimately ours that we want to, that, that we want to have and we're, and, and we're not listening? We're not surrendered listening and obeying Christ when he wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than all that we could ask or imagine. That's the example that we have. He emptied himself of his privileges. Verse, so verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He became man, fully God, fully human. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus, since Jesus gave his life for me, should I not give him mine? He emptied himself of everything. Why? Not because it would be advantageous to him, but because, so he could reconcile us to God. So that God's creation could be redeemed. He emptied him. So, and so when the scripture is telling us that we need to selflessly love other people, it's in the example of Jesus. We have to empty ourselves, surrender, listening and obeying so that we're following the spirit, not our own ideas. We empty ourselves for his honor, for his glory. And so the question is, <laughs> well, have you found, ever found yourself being convicted by God to do something, surrender something, let something go, do, you know, serve in a way that you don't want to serve in. And, and, you, and you find yourself praying, God, you don't understand what you're asking. Yeah, I have. And then if you listen, the Spirit will go, really? Remember, Jesus emptied himself way more than we ever will be able to, let alone be asked to. And so when he asks us to do anything, he's saying, I've been there. I've done it first. There's nothing that we legitimately are able to say, no, that's too much, because Jesus has already done more. 
But here's the reward. Here, here's the right side up experience. Verse 9. Therefore, because he emptied himself, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. He was already God, but because he obeyed the Father and he sacrificed himself, he has been lifted up to be the exalted one. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. All of creation, the, the Elohim, everything that's in the unseen realm, everyone that's in the seen realm, those who do not call on his name now, those who were, are his enemies now, will someday have to bow their knee and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And can you imagine the look on their face on that day? They, it's, it's like they're not going to, they're trying to hold it back. They will not be able to hold it back because he is Lord. They will not be able to stand on their feet because he is Lord. Because of his obedience and emptying himself out, he is exalted. And in God's right side up economy, that's the way it is for us too. It's not that we don't get rewarded. It's that we have to empty ourselves out in order to get there. So I put some scriptures in here because I wanted you to catch this. As we follow his example to empty ourselves out, we get filled up with his presence. We get rewarded. So in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus has been scolding the scribes and Pharisees for loving the places of, honors and, uh, of honor and manipulating and, and conniving in order to get those places of honor and vain conceit when they, even when they didn't deserve it. And in, Math, in Matthew 23, 11 and 12, he says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Not necessarily in this world, not usually in this world, but in, the, in, the, in eternity, somehow, some way, that's his promise. At the end of the parable of the wedding feast, where he tells them, don't take the place of honor, but rather take the lowest place, because if you're in the place of honor, somebody else, more important comes in, you'll be bumped down to the lowest place. And he says, instead, take the lowest place, and then the, the master of the feast will come and invite you to a higher place. In, in, in Luke 14, 11 and 12, he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then in Luke 18, 14, at the end of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee said, Oh, look, I'm, you know, he prayed on the street corner. And he said, Look how good I am. And the tax collector said, Oh, just, Lord, forgive me. I'm just a humble sinner. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He, he says it multiple times, which means this is important. Amen. He wants us to get this, that if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. If we try to be exalted in this life, in this world, you might, but it won't last. But he says in eternity. And then James, um, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. First Peter, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. Emptying ourselves. Emptying ourselves. 
so that Christ will be seen. His mission will be accomplished. His purposes will be fulfilled. That's the, that's the focus. But then the byproduct, the side benefit, is that we get filled up with his presence. We get filled up with his life. And in the life to come, exalt it. It's hard to allow God to turn us right side up in this way. This is hard. It's just hard, hard, hard. Because we've got pride in us. We don't want to be humbled. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be vulnerable. It's hard. The only way you can do it is when God gives you his heart. Only as we surrender moment by moment, we listen for his instructions, and we follow and obey, giving ourselves as living sacrifices. As he goes on in chapter 2, he's going to give some specific examples how to do that, and we'll look at that next week. But I think for today, the challenge is to say, okay, God, whatever you ask, I'm willing to humble myself. And then when he starts, when he starts working on you, it's just to do it. Would you bow your heads? Maybe something has come to your mind, some way that God has been pushing you to humble yourself, to obey. If that's true, would you be willing to surrender that to him? Let it go? But the bigger challenge or invitation I would give you today is, would you give God a blank check? Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to live for you. I want to live in obedience to you, selflessly serving others, emptying myself out. Give me the faith. Give me the courage. Give me the trust. Lord, I pray that you would do that. Lord, we confess we can't do it on our own. There's just too much pride and selfishness in us. But if you will, by your Spirit, fill us, mind, heart, soul, body, with the trust and the courage, God, we commit to you to obey. Whatever it takes, however you want it to happen. I pray that you would hear the prayers that have gone up, that you would take us at our word. Lord, I pray that you would give us your heart, your mind, that we could be your people, and that everybody would see Christ in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.